Hi, my name is Ian. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. The word of the Lord. And today we're going to be moving straight to the gospel reading, so thank you for standing. Um, My name is Maddie, and the scripture reading will be found in Matthew 13, verses 16 through 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these words from your scripture. We ask that they would generate energy, revelation, and faith in our lives now and in the week to come. Would you bless us that we might be a blessing? Would you heal us that we might bring health to others? Would you love us where we need that today? Would you forgive us where we need that? Amen. Please do sit down. Well, it is such a joy to be back with you uh, again. It was almost exactly a year ago that I was uh, with you last. In fact, uh, it was Independence Day that I was with you, which is kind of hashtag awkward when you're English. (laughs) And... uh, So I I came back this time because we've been watching your political system thinking, wow, that's interesting. And now you're probably watching ours going, that's really interesting. Uh, It is indeed really interesting. Um, I arrived at Denver Airport last night and I went slightly jet-lagged to the car rental And a very nice lady greeted me, and the car rental lady said to me, Mr. Grieg, which isn't how you pronounce it, it's pronounced Greg. Mr. Grieg, are you a scientist? So I said, no. And she looked very disappointed. She said, but your hair. (laughs) Your hair is insane. So I... I, I apologized, obviously. Uh, she looked disappointed. And then, and then she said to me, how is the queen? Uh, and I said, she's very well, thank you so, so much. And I set forth into your great nation. So it's lovely to be with you. I've tried, I've tried to tame my hair for you today. Uh, I'm not a scientist, I'm a pastor. Um, I'm sorry if my scruffy demeanor uh, in any way confuses you. If you need advice on sartorial elegance, go to the Alamo car rental people at Denver Airport. (laughs) 
probably not a line that's going to be said in any other church anywhere in the world uh, today. I'll leave that moment of history with you. Uh, We live in extraordinary days, and I want to try and apply the truths of Scripture to the moment in which we uh, find ourselves. These are days of great turmoil in the world and great blessing. Frightening days and exciting days uh, all at once. I've been thinking, therefore, of those beautiful opening lines from Tale of Two Cities. Charles Dickens' historical novel uh, set in uh, the days in the mid-18th century, just before the French Revolution. Europe was in utter turmoil. And as you probably know, the novel begins like this. It was the best of times and the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. (laughs) Give me a wave if you can vaguely relate to that. (laughs) And the truth is many of us probably in our own lives feel that this is a time of great blessing and great turmoil at the same time. Uh, For some of you, it's it's just all turmoil right now. For some of you, it's all blessing right now. I was just talking to uh, a couple who are getting married in a few days' time. It's all blessing. It's all excitement. I was talking to someone else whose marriage is on the rocks, and everything feels like hell. We come together as a community, and it's the best of times. It's the worst of times. How do we navigate life at a time such as this? Let's think about the turmoil in our world right now. Uh, The rise of political extremism all around the world. Are you aware that what is happening in this country, whether you look at Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders, is not unique to America? It is a trend we are seeing all around the world. And you can pull up your drawbridge and deny the rest of the world's there as long as you like. But actually, exactly the same thing is happening. I just came back from Austria, where they came within 0.6% of electing a Nazi to be president of Austria. Are you aware of that? 0.6%. Far right. uh, Far, far right. And uh, uh, Marine Le Pen in, 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 in France. And in South Africa, we have a major political crisis, uh, well, across the whole nation, but with the presidency uh, there. And uh, you are probably aware that in the UK, we have just literally in the last few days voted out of the European Union. And everyone is saying to me, what does it mean? And we don't know. Our prime minister has resigned. The leader of our opposition party is about to be sacked by his own party, Scotland, Scotland will probably leave the British uh, referendum. I have a 17-year-old son who's not allowed to vote yet, saying this is the rest of my life. I didn't even get a say. We don't know what's going to happen to us economically. But there is something stirring. There is a desire within the population to rise up against elites. There is a sense of powerlessness around the world, in the Western world right now. And what you're seeing in your own presidential election is just part of it because we live in a global, not just economy, but global psychology. So I may be here with my strange accent, but you sneeze in America, we catch a cold. Things happen in other parts of the world, you too are affected. We are together. But we are 
are together not just as sovereign nation states at a time when those are being shaken. We are together as the people of God. Two billion of us around the world today who are gathering to open the Scriptures, to worship the name of Jesus, a 2,000-year-old history. And so amidst all the shaking and the turmoil, we have reason for great hope because our Lord, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ is the hope of the nations and you were never ultimately meant to put your hope in political structures, but in the kingdom of God and there is a difference. And if you want to know what the difference is, stick with this church because they're about to launch a series on the kingdom of God and all these questions will be answered by someone <laughs> else. I know it's a season of blessing here at this church. Wonderful, the story that you're part of, planting this church downtown, the way it's growing and prospering, the wonderful initiatives that New Life is behind uh, that are making a, a difference in uh, this city so profoundly, Mary's Home, the Dream Center Medical Clinic, changing lives, prioritizing the poor. This is the blessing of God. Alpha just finished uh, here, I believe, or finishing in your commons uh, center with uh, people discovering about Jesus Christ who might not normally come to church. It's exciting when the church starts to say, we're not just about trying to grow big churches and steal each other's sheep, but we actually want to make a difference amongst those who don't go anywhere near church. It's wonderful. It's good news. And that is part of a story. Alpha uh, around the world, 29 million people have now done this one course, eight to ten weeks, discovering uh, the truth of Jesus in a relational um, uh, sort of uh, journey around food together. It's one of the great things God is doing. At a time where there's such shaking amongst our political leaders, God is raising up remarkable leaders in the church. Take a look at this slide. This is a picture of the leaders of 1.3 billion Christians. Pope Francis and Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. So I don't know who you think is the big stick, you know, kind of Christian leader, but they are very, 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 very small compared to the scale of what these guys are leading. 1.3 billion Christians. And both of them are spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, uh, Bible-loving, true Christian leaders. And clearly, God has raised them up for such a time as this. Something amazing is happening in the world. I'm like you guys. You know, my background is free church. It's charismatic, non-denominational. And we've got caught up in this world because one of the things the Spirit of God is doing in this city and around the world is he's drawing together different Christians so that we start to look at each other and not say what's wrong with them, but what's right with them and what can I learn from them. Wouldn't it be weird if all your kids were exactly the same, look the same, dress the same, have the same hobbies. Would that be a healthy family? No, you would have ha somehow mothered or fathered a cult. <laughs> a healthy family, there is diversity. You even might live at different addresses, but you are one DNA, one blood. Listen, we are about to come to the table and drink of one blood. We are one body. We are one church. There is one spirit. There is one gospel. There is one hope for our world. And it is not a president, a king or a queen or a political system. It is the name of Jesus Christ. So let's come together. Let's pray together because we can't pray together. We can't do anything else. And let's preach the gospel without compromise and without shame at this time. Amen? So it's pretty exciting to see what God is doing. And, uh, and, and uh, he, you know... Um, we, we celebrated the 15th birthday of the 24-7 prayer movement last October in Vienna, in Austria, in St. Stephen's Cathedral and in the Archbishop's um, Palace there. 
And it was the most amazing thing. Cardinal Schoenborn, who's one of the most senior Catholics in the world, invited us to come and to, 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 to uh, celebrate in this World Heritage Site where Mozart used to sing in the choir. Uh, it was a, a brain mash for me because we started, you know, just praying in a semi-derelict warehouse in a nowhere place. And 15 years later, we had people from all over the world, every kind of Christian tradition, all worshipping together as one. There were big bearded Orthodox priests, even bigger bearded hipsters from New York City. You know, <laughs> There are cute little nuns. Uh, Catholic bishops with their hands aloft. This is extraordinary. Salvation Army officers punching the air, shouting, come on, this is not extraordinary. Just, but what our tourists come in going, oh my goodness, the cathedral is not just a tourist attraction, it's a place of pilgrimage and prayer. And, and, and it was such an amazing night. You know, we had a message, a greeting beamed in, not just from the Archbishop of Canterbury, but also from the Pope. And I'm thinking, how did we get from a back street 15 years ago. We knew no one. We didn't even have enough money to buy a computer. And 15 years later, we are celebrating together from 128 nations in this venue with personal greetings from the Pope. How did this happen? i tell you how it happened. We kept saying yes to Jesus Christ. And we got places we could never have got if we'd created a great business plan and a great brand. You understand? And so the Spirit of God is doing something remarkable. And I came out of St. Stephen's Cathedral that night and I said to God, are you doing something here? Like, beyond just tonight? Is there something around cathedrals that reminds us where we've come from and therefore tells us where we're going? And within a few days, the Archbishop of Canterbury had approached me and said to me, I've had this idea, cathedrals. Could we do something on Pentecost Sunday and gather young people to pray and worship in six English cathedrals to do what we did 2,000 years ago, just pray, worship, invite the Spirit of God to come and then go out and preach the gospel? I mean, has anyone here got a theological problem with that? And so we just did it. Pentecost Sunday was about a month ago, wasn't it? And, and, and what was amazing was all the cathedrals were rammed. They were just full of people worshipping, seeking God, saying, come Holy Spirit. Winchester Cathedral, we had over a thousand people couldn't get in. They were outside praying and worshipping. And now what's happening is other cathedrals are saying to us, can we get in on the whole prayer worship thing? And uh, we're going, yeah, okay. And... Um, uh, and, and I think it's about to get really, really, really big uh, all around the world on Pentecost Sunday. You understand, God is doing something. It's the worst of times, and yet the best of times. It's a time of shaking, and yet a time of great favor internationally, within the church, and even within our own lives. How then do we navigate at a time such as this? And in our Bible reading we thought about Abraham, one of the greatest moments of blessing in world history. God comes to Abraham and he says, you know, leave your father's house, leave your home and go and I'm going to make you the father of nations. I, I, I'm going to so bless you. It's going to so overflow from you. 
that millions of people down thousands of years will be blessed. You know God's plan for your life isn't just to fill you up with a bit of blessing, but to so bless you that it leaks out your ears, comes out your mouth, overflows through your subconscious until your family, your street, your city, your nation is all blessed by the blessing of God within you. That is why when you get blessed, there's an enormous temptation just to try and put the cap on it and say, that will do for me. The challenge when you get blessed is to keep ripping open your rib cage and keep asking for more. Keep paying the price, keep pioneering, don't get comfortable with it. Because God doesn't just want to bless you. His plan for the world is bigger than just you. He wants to use you to bless those around you. Amen? And so uh, God blesses Abraham in this absolutely extraordinary uh, way. It's estimated that there are, uh, that one in every 457 people on earth today has Abraham's genetic DNA within their uh, bodies. That is the scale of the blessing of what God does. How did Abraham steward the blessing of God? Amidst all the challenges and the turmoil, how did he do that? Firstly, Abraham, though he was 75 years old, kept dreaming. He still had a vision He still wasn't satisfied. He didn't say, you know what, this will do. I'm Abraham. I'm kind of a big deal around here. You know, I'm rich. I'm successful. I'd like to have had kids, but hey, whatever. I've got a wife. You know, this will do. I'm an old man. Get me my slippers. Pass me my pipe. He doesn't do that. He, at the age of 75, is still imagining more, still dreaming for more in uh, the world. He doesn't say, well, you know what? My wife can't have children. I'll have to live with that. He sees the stars and begins to dream of nations. He doesn't downgrade his dreams with disappointments and with the years. There is a second naivety. There is a a childish desire for more from God. You know, no matter how much God has blessed your life, and he has blessed your life, he has more for you than you have currently experienced. If you're a new Christian... I want to say this to you, you ain't seen nothing yet. There is stuff out there you are about to discover that is going to fry your noodles. I remember leading someone to Jesus once, and about two months later they came to me and said, they, they said, you didn't tell me everything. And I said, what, what did I forget to you? Heaven, I didn't know I was going to get heaven. I didn't know I had eternal life. This is like a serious 10% extra free. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you that bit. God has more for you. If you're a seasoned Christian, you know, you've, you've been doing this thing for a while. You know by now there's always more in God. There's fresh revelations. There's fresh discoveries. There's neural pathways getting rewired, new relationships that just kind of explode inside you. You understand why heaven's not going to be boring? Because God is big and you're not. And there will be constant discoveries, new revelations, new insights, new innovations, new works of art, new things to do, new pioneering to pioneer, new stuff in heaven. It's not going to be boring in heaven because God is big and you are not. And there is always more in him. He's eternal. He's infinite. You could even be at the end of your human life at death's door and there is always more. 
There is always more because we believe, and we're going to celebrate it in this feast, that death is only the beginning, that there is always life greater than death, that every night leads to greater dawn. And so we do not grieve as those who have no hope. There's always more blessing in uh, God. So let's not put a cap on it. Our vision corporately is not just to build a great church. It is to build a great city. That is the call upon us. You know what? If you think you've built a great church, but your city isn't great, you haven't built a great church. Again, these things will be fully unpacked in the forthcoming series on the kingdom of God. That's why raising children is a calling. That's why running businesses is part of the kingdom of God. That is why we must care for the poor, because we're in the business Not just of doing ministry or being some religious choice on the menu of social uh, preference. We are in the business of completely reimagining the world under the reign, the rule, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. We're not in the business of just kind of tweaking the old institutions. We are here to introduce a brave new world shaped by the lordship of Jesus Christ. So it's so much bigger Our dream isn't just to see a few people saved. Our dream is to see thousands encountering Jesus. It's not just to see Christians worshipping, but to see cities and nations worshipping. Our dream is not just occasionally to see a marriage healed, but to see divorce rates plummeting. Our vision is to see businesses prospering, churches cooperating, no baby unwanted, no child unadopted, no refugee unwelcomed, no old person lonely, no schools failing, no oncology wards that are overworked, but oncology wards that are underworked, churches that are planted, missionaries that are shot out, new sounds in worship, new ways of verbalizing the wonders and the glory of God, In this generation, our call is not just to build a great church, but a great city. Amen? God has more for you. He wants to bless you to be a blessing in your street, in your workplace, in your community, in this world. Abraham kept dreaming and he kept pioneering. He kept going. He didn't settle down. In fact, the promise begins with a command, leave your household, leave uh, your country, and go to somewhere new. I remember um, about five years into 24-7 prayer, uh, the, the, the simple story is this, a bunch of us realized prayer is the key to everything, not just in Christianity, but in life. You are designed to walk and talk with God, and um, that's the essence of it all. One day each of us will stand before God and he won't ask what business you did. He won't ask how big your ministry was. He'll say, did we know each other? And so uh, we realized that prayer is kind of the key to everything and that we were terrible at it. We were getting three old ladies and a goat to our church prayer meeting. You know. And um, so we started praying round the clock, night and day. And then God came to our prayer room as he promised he would. And uh, he sneezed, uh, and this virus just began to spread, and it spread all over the world. We were absolutely stunned. Uh, Our lives got hijacked by a prayer movement. How weird is that? And 
out of that, there's been new communities planted and new justice programs and just amazing stuff. And so uh, it's spread all over the world. But then a, a year or two in, some of you will know that at a time where I thought we had cracked the revival code, you know, <laughs> we'd sort of found the big switch that would like make it all happen because we were all praying like crazy. Miracles were happening, prayers were getting answered. And then in my arrogance, suddenly God came and broke me. And my wife got really, really sick and very nearly died many times. And I suddenly discovered that the prayers that I thought could save the world, I wasn't even sure if they could save my own wife anymore. And, and, and suddenly I had to live in the best of times and the worst of times, in the paradox of discipleship, the blessing of God and the contesting of the enemy, the heartbreak and the pain, the fellowship of Christ's sufferings and the power of his resurrection all at once, every season in a single day. And, and so we began to have to navigate all of that. And honestly, I just got exhausted. And it's a long story, but we were asked to move to the Midwest of America for a year, just to, you know, to Kansas City, to work with a guy called Floyd McClung, just to get our 501c3, get things established here in the States for 24-7 prayer, but mostly just to have a year out to recover. And we lived in a house on the Santa Fe Trail in Kansas City. And I remember one day walking up our road, in fact, it was Christmas Day, towards our nearest um, well, it was towards our nearest Starbucks, but Starbucks would have been shut. I was just walking up the road, praying. And um, I passed this cemetery, this graveyard at the end of the road. And I read this historical plaque, and God did something profound and deep in me that was calling me not to settle down, but to keep pioneering. The plaque simply told me that 300,000 pioneers had passed through this point on their way to, you know, Gold Rush and, you know, all of that, Santa Fe. And it had originally been called Blue Camp 20. This was a camp, just a shanty town, right, a settlement by the Blue River, hence Blue, and 20 because it's 20 miles from the place at which the Santa Fe Trail began. It was your first stop on your way to stepping into your dream of making money or saving souls or finding gold or whatever it was. And so there are historical accounts, journal accounts from back then of people who camped there that night. One of them said, beyond this point was the land of the buffalo. <laughs> There's a sense of the wild. And what happened was that many, many people who passed through Blue Camp 20 went on to pioneer to Santa Fe, but many also settled down. They decided no further. You know what? I don't want to do that walk through that lawless territory. If I stay here, I can make a good living running a bar or putting shoes on horses or whatever it is, running a church. And so gradually Blue Camp 20 became a settlement and then it became a town. And here's the deal, they renamed it. Because who wants to be the mayor of a shanty town, Blue Camp 20? So they renamed Blue Camp 20 and this is extraordinary to me. They renamed this point 
which was the first stop on the way to Santa Fe. You'll never guess what they renamed it. They called it Little Santa Fe. Wow. Little Santa Fe, a bonsai version, a diminished version of the original vision. For the people who had the vision but didn't want to pay the price. Everyone in life pioneers once. They make it to Blue Camp 20. They start a rock and roll band. They move to a new town. They get a new job. They get married. Everyone pioneers once. If you haven't pioneered once, you're dead. The question is, when you find the price, you find the sacrifice, you start to take a few blows, do you settle down in that point and rename that territory as a small version of the vision you once had? Or do you keep pioneering and pushing on to Santa Fe? God has more for you than little Santa Fe. He has more for you than Blue Camp 20. He is calling you to the actual thing, to the real thing. And as you know from the book of Hebrews, it says of Abraham, he kept pioneering because he knew that his ultimate home was not just the land of Canaan, but it was somewhere greater. And so we take some blows, we take some disappointments, and the question is this, will we clench our fist and say no more, or will we keep opening our hands to receive more of the blessing of God? He has more blessing for you, because his call is not just to bless you, but to bless the nations through you. Finally, Abraham kept dreaming, he kept pioneering, but also, interestingly, he kept praying. He kept seeking God's presence, even when he was blessed. And I say even because the story of the people of God is that we're really good at seeking God when we're in trouble and really bad at seeking God when we're not. We're more likely to sin when we win than when we lose. We, we don't handle the favor of God well. We get the blessings of God and just get comfortable, complacent, and start to think it was our own achievements that did it. But the moment things go wrong, we cry out to God, we seek God with all of our hearts. It's the story of the entire Old Testament. So if you're being blessed right now, I counsel you, keep receiving from God. Keep seeking God. Keep giving credit where credit is due, that you might receive more blessing from God because he has more for you than you have so far received. Don't settle for this. And so with Abraham, what that looked like was every time he received a blessing or a revelation from God, he built an altar. Every time. It was like landscape gardening gone crazy. Oh, I've got a revelation. Let's build an altar. And then the altars were given names. And then the names gave their names to cities that grew up around them. An altar is this. It is a monument that helps you remember the favor of God. It is a place of sacrifice in which you say, I have received the blessing of God, now I'm going to give the blessing of God back to God, Isaac. And it is also a place that renames territory. When you are blessed by God, it is vital that you build an altar, that you put in a monument and you celebrate, that you give thanks to God for his goodness. It is vital in that moment that you don't get comfortable but that you open your hands and say, I'm going to give the blessing back to you because you have given it all to us in the first place. I'm going to keep pioneering. I'm going to keep dreaming. I'm going to keep sacrificing because I don't want to put a cap on your blessing in my life. I know you have more for me. 
And the weird and amazing thing is this, that if you will keep doing that, you'll keep dreaming and pioneering and building your altars wherever God blesses you, you will shape cities. The greatest legacy of your life is the prayer and sacrifice that you give to God. It isn't the business you start. It isn't the dollars in your account. It isn't just surviving your marriage. The greatest legacy of your life is the private prayer, the painful sacrifice that you offer to God, the altars you erect that will shape the landscape of tomorrow. Amen? So we're going to come to the Lord's table together. We're going to celebrate the best of times and the worst of times, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Perhaps you're in a season of shaking. Come to this particular altar today and receive fresh grace and fresh hope. And maybe as you take the bread and the wine, it's time for dreams to be resurrected. You've begun to downgrade your dreams. You rename, you're renaming Santa Fe, little Santa Fe. You're saying, this will do. And the thing is, as you take the bread and the wine, you know the pain and the price of pioneering. But you take it and say, okay, God, renew my dreams, whatever it costs. I don't want to limit your blessing in me and through me. Receive fresh hope. Or it may be that you are in a season of great blessing and as you take communion now, you're going to very consciously give thanks to God, give credit to God and renew your determination to pioneer. One of the amazing things about the table of communion is this. We come to the altar not just to eat from it, but to lie on it. I mean, not literally, it would be Hashtag awkward if you do that. But Romans 12 says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Jesus says to you, if any man or if any woman wants to come after me, you must, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. You must. And so in taking the wine, we become the wine. In taking the bread, we become the bread for a world that is broken and desperately in need of salvation who might not come anywhere near this church, but they will come near to you in your street and your workplace and your supermarket and wherever the Lord has deployed you. So come to the table and become the table. Come to the bread and wine and become the bread and wine. Come to receive the blessing that you might be a blessing to this world let me finish with just a beautiful few words from one of my favorite American authors Frederick Buckner he says this go where your best prayers take you unclench the fists of your spirit and take it easy Breathe deep of the glad air and live one day at a time. No, you are precious. You are so precious that God sent his own son 
who laid down the favor of heaven to come and be nothing for you. He came to become an altar for you. And as we come to the altar and we give thanks and we feast from it, and as we renew our determination not just to receive from it but to become it, to become the altar, become the bread, become the wine, so we become those who release the favor of God into our world. The world doesn't need churches to be blessed more in some little corner. The world needs a church that is so overflowing with God's blessing that it overflows out into the culture for such a time as this. He is the hope. He is the peace. He is the Lord. He is in control. He makes all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. His mercies are new every morning. He puts a new song in our hearts. There is always more blessing, more forgiveness, more favor. You cannot be too bad, too broken, or too boring for God, only too proud. Humble yourself. Come and receive from his infinite generosity. And become that generosity to the world. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we are overwhelmed by your kindness, your generosity towards us. Thank you that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you forgive us our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that you bring blessing and favor even to lives that are broken like ours. And Lord, we pray that as we come and eat from your table, that you would resurrect vision and dreams that you'd recommission us to pioneer, that we might become the communion table, the altar that names cities in our world. We pray these things entirely for your glory. Amen.